There's a patch of land 25 acres large in League City, Texas, sitting right next to Interstate 45 that has been described as a perfect place for killing somebody and getting away with it. Over the years, a number of bodies were found. The victims were mostly between the ages of 12 years old and 25 years old. As of today, 30 bodies have been found there. Who did this? How many killers were involved? And most importantly, who were these victims? Hi everyone, thanks for stopping by our table of disappointment. This is How They Got Away, the show where we discuss the unsatisfying endings to your favorite unsolved or unpunished true crime and corporate greed stories. I'm your host for today, Annalise, and I am here with my co-host. It's Kelsey. I've always thought that median between the two highways would be a great place to hide a body because no one ever goes there. And now yeah. here we are. And now here we are, and we're going to be discussing one of them. So this case, as I've mentioned, is quite large, and it's not like it's a singular case. So right. what I'm going to be doing is kind of breaking it down into different parts. And so today, I'm going to focus on this man named Edward Harold Bell. Um, he has been attributed to multiple cases. He claimed to kill 11 girls, whom he referred to as the 11 that went to heaven. I, I don't like that. I really don't like that at all. Also, it, like that feels like a lie, mostly because I choose to believe serial killers aren't clever enough to come, with a, come up with a rhyme. <laughs> He's not a literary mastermind, so he cannot do this. No. no, I refuse. So most of the victims that were identified by Bell or um, attributed to him, because not all, he didn't name every single one. He gave descriptions for some of them, and then people kind of matched them up. Um, not all of them are from the killing fields directly, but most of them are. So that is why I'm going to kind of do the collection of them first, because it is quite a large number. Right. Okay. And it's like, I don't know. I'm, I'm, we've just started, so I'm not going to make a claim here, but I feel, I don't trust Bell. I don't trust that he's telling the truth. Not that I yeah. usually trust serial killers to tell us the absolute truth. Cause you know, they're so known for being truthful. They're just so honorable. They value honesty. Such integrity. It's like the cop rule. Like if you're a serial killer, you have to tell me if I ask. Yeah. So in the timeline of the killing fields, the girls that I am going to, or women, ladies, a lot of them are quite young, um, are kind of the second through 12th or 11th that are found, um, with the first discovery being Brenda Jones. Um, we will discuss her case along with many of the others in a part two. Um, I will put it out there that one of her family members, uh, Phyllis Southern, does believe that she may have been killed by Belle, um, but I'm going to focus more on the widely believed victims of Belle. Right. And these are in order of discovery, not necessarily order of burial? They, yeah, it's kind of discovery. The way that it works out is it's kind of similar to like when they went missing, they were found. A lot of these people were found kind of like months after. And so instead of it being years, um, it was a couple of months and they kind of I, work out. I don't think this is a good burial dump then. If people are finding people only months after you've buried them, did I'm going to say that's not though, a great spot. Putting it out there, 
Like 90% of these are unsolved. Okay, fair. But as I suspect you're going to get into, I think I suspect there are other reasons for that. For sure. For sure. I can see it in your eyes. I see it. So it's also a lot of these are the 70s. So sometimes the reason is it was the 70s of it all. So for today, I'm going to start with a little background on Bell before I get into his supposed victim. So we know a little bit about this guy. So Bell, Edward Bell, was born on May 26, 1939 in Texas. He alleges that his father encouraged him to commit violent crimes and to kill himself numerous times throughout his childhood. That kind of goes back to I don't necessarily trust everything a serial killer says, especially because I think a lot of them know when they're caught that the society will look for some reason, some answer to point to, some horrible thing that happened in their childhood that explains why they are the way that they are. And the reality is sometimes, sometimes people are just born like that and there's nothing you can do about it. But also, sometimes serial killers are made. Yeah. We and don't that would have certainly any, do it. Yeah, and we don't have any external evidence to say anything about his father. So this is why it's always said that he alleges. So there is possible abuse. Um, by the time Bell was a young adult, he had worked as a licensed diver and then a pharmaceutical salesman. And around that time, it's an interesting combination. I was, I like made a gesture. I was like, that's such a weird, like, go from one to the other. Like, was that a plan? Like, he was like, I want to be a diver and like a pharmacist. And I'm going to, and he set out and do those things. Or did he fall into those? Very interesting. I feel like these are more like opportunities and he's kind of swaying through different things. I wish I had just an opportunity to start working as a licensed diver. (laughs) It's around this time in his young adulthood that he gets married to his first wife and then has three kids. Oh, Lord. That's so many children. Yes. For a serial killer to have. That is always, it doesn't matter how many serial killers have children because it's a lot of them, but it's always so freaky to me because you're like, ooh, ooh, oh no. His trouble with the law started in 1966 when he exposed himself to two young girls. So that that puts him in his, like, late 20s, right? Yeah. Okay, so that's pretty late for that behavior to start. Usually when we talk about serial killers who have, like, a pattern before the killing starts, it starts a lot earlier. Which, on the one hand, makes me wonder, especially with the dad encouraging him to commit violent stuff, if there was maybe more in his childhood that either didn't get reported or got covered up. Or if, like, I don't want to bring, like, a mental, like, oh, maybe, like, some kind of mental illness dropped and, like, that's why the way he is the way that he is. But also that would be Mm -hmm. about the age where something would start. Not that any mental illness of any kind excuses exposing yourself in front of girls that is such a stupid pathetic thing to do i'm i'm making that claim on the internet that's for sure pathetic and it's also 
And this is just when he's caught by the law. He could have been doing this kind of behavior for a while. And this was just the first time that he was caught. Yeah, exactly. That, that just seems too, so late in life to just be like, you know what I'm going to do today? Yeah. So after this incident, he was arrested and then sent to Big Spring Tank, Big Spring State Psychiatric Hospital. Okay. So what did he say in an interview? Because I feel like we've talked about other people who do kind of really gross things that aren't necessarily murder. And then they just kind of give him a slap on the ass on the way out of the jail. They don't really send them to a psychiatric hospital. So what did he say in an interview that they were like, this guy needs to go to a hospital right now, especially in a time when mental illness was not very well understood, mm -hmm. even a little bit. I say that like we understand it so well today, but still. What did what what about that interview was made somebody go no 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 you need to be seen by a professional. Well, he was soon released um, after treatment, and then in 1969, he would expose himself again. This time to the 13-year-old daughter of a policeman. But on Elise, the system works. That know, also so makes me good wonder. at rehabilitating. So good at it, but that also makes me wonder. Was that purposeful on his part? Did he know it was the policeman's daughter? Is he just really stupid? Like, I'm trying to understand, like, what about this is purposeful and what about this is just he's a pathetic, sad little man who, hello. What about this is purposeful and what about this is a sad little man who gets his rocks off by being really predatory and really disgusting to little girls? For this crime, he was sent to the University of Texas medical branch. So hospitalized again. <laughs> Once again, like, it, I don't believe that was common practice for exposure to children at the time. So what is he saying in these interviews that they're like, yeah, somebody with a medical degree needs to look at this. During this time, he would separate from his wife and was barred from contact with his children. Good. I feel like that's a win for the wife. Once you could maybe explain away as like a, oh no, it was an accident. I didn't know they were there. Second time, police officer's daughter, get out of my house, get away from my children. Yeah. Um, he didn't really seem bothered by this though, cause he immediately started flirting with underage patients at the hospital, which is how he met his second wife, a 17 year old patient. No. Okay. Obviously, the family was performative on his part, which is not unheard of just for the time. I feel like just having a, fam a wife and a family was just something you did for a lot of people, but especially for somebody who is not like a, I don't want to say he's like a psychopath or a sociopath because I don't know, but someone who is a predator amongst people and wants to appear normal would definitely do that and also we know his preference it's younger girls as disgusting as that is so that doesn't shock me at all that he was like haha now i can just s s slip my way on in here but also 
There was no pediatric wing? Come on, guys. You know what he was in for, and you saw him, you clocked him talking to the 17-year-old, and no one in there was like, hmm, I don't, we should separate those people. Nope. Nobody? Oh, my God. So the two were married soon after his release. Super delightful. Um... During the 1970s, he would be arrested numerous times for flashing and masturbating in front of young girls, but these cases were either dropped or he wasn't charged every time. So he got away with all of them. Okay, but he wasn't sent back to a hospital either. So, like, that only makes me question more. What about those two incidents with somebody like, this needs to be seen by a medical professional? Because now they're just like, ah, we would charge him, but we're just not gonna for whatever reason. And then also, why aren't you charging this guy? He's walking in every other week. I'm sure it's like a little bit more spread out, but still you're like, hi, Belle, exposing yourself again. Come on. And you just let him go back out. Let him go. That'll fix it for sure. Oh, yeah. Things like that sort themselves out. Hmm. He'll settle down. You know, he he had a fight with the missus. That's all it was. He'll, he'll find down. Jesus and he'll be good He'll find again. Jesus. They'll have a kid, even though he already has three. But this one, the fourth one, will settle him down. So here's where things start to intensify. I didn't see that coming, Annalise. How could the things intensify? We just said. Of course, they will settle themselves out. So on August 24th, 1978, Bell had stopped his truck in front of a group of girls in order to expose himself and start masturbating in front of them. What else are you going to do in August, you know? You know, you, you spot some girls, you immediately stop, park your truck, and you're like, this is the time. I want so badly one of these girls to just kick them as hard as possible in the gonads. Witnessing this happening from his mother's garage, Larry Dean Dickens, a 26-year-old Marine, rushed to get Bell's car keys so he couldn't escape. The forethought for that, because I would have just fucking football tackled that bitch. Bell would take out his pistol and shoot Larry, who then collapsed in front of his mother, who had come out after hearing the struggle. Tell me Larry's okay right now. Bell would then take a <gasps> rifle from his truck and come back and shoot Larry again, this time in the forehead. Oh my god. Where are the teen girls when this is happening? I assume they ran. Bell would be arrested, but he would make bail. What was and his guess what? bail? He has a pattern. Like it was like, I think it was like a, a thousand two hundred or no, it was like one hundred and twenty thousand dollars, I think was around the I have no words because what the fuck that man larry was just doing a very normal thing was a marine served combat assumably and then comes home to get shot twice by some loser who masturbates in front of little girls and larry doesn't deserve that but larry also died a hero larry's a good man his mother should At 26, be too, and in front of his mom. Like, Jesus Christ. It's rough. So, Bell made bail, and he did not make it to trial. Of course not. Because instead, he went on the run for 14 years, traveling around Mexico and Central America, 
he would be named Texas's most wanted fugitive in 1985. If Texas is known for one thing, I feel that it would be caring a lot about their veterans. I don't see them just being like, ah, we'll get him when we get to him about a guy who shot a veteran twice in the face. They were looking for that dude. Oof. But also, come on. Why'd you give him bail? Whatever judge made that call. In 19... For some reason, I have 1922. I think it's supposed to be I don't think that's right. I think it is 1992. In 1922, Bell actually traveled back in time. <laughs> in 1992, Larry's murder was featured on Unsolved Mysteries, and a man who had recently seen Bell in Panama City called up the authorities. This would then lead to Bell's arrest at a yacht club in Panama City on February 14th, 1993. Motherfucker, what were you doing in a yacht club? He didn't own a yacht, did he? He just was, like, working there? I have no idea. God, I hope he didn't have a yacht. That man does not deserve um, a we're yacht. We're going to talk about this later. He he owned land and, like, stuff. Like, he had a presumably some amount of money because he had, like, owned, like, a pastor somewhere. He, like, owned, like, operated a store. Like, it was a whole thing. I was going to ask, actually, what he did for a living, and I guess owned stuff he did things <laughs> he did things owned <laughs> he did property. a lot of random stuff My but God. for his crime of killing larry dean dickens he got sentenced to 70 years does that include does that take into account being on the run for 14 years because you get in trouble for escaping the law here i'm honestly not sure hmm i just got a total of 70 years for his crime Okay. So this is where the 11 come in. Oh, right. During we the... haven't even gotten. So, not Larry, not part of the 11, just a different guy. Now, here's 11 more bringing his total to assumably 12, if not more. Yeah, this is the prelude to the meat of the story. Oh, my God. So, during his imprisonment in 1998, Bell sent letters to Harris and Galveston County prosecutors. In these letters, he claimed to have killed seven girls. The existence of these letters were kept secret for 13 years. I can see that, because you that's the kind of thing you fact check before you release that. In July and September of 2011, Bell, who was 72 at the time, gave exclusive interviews. It was here that Bell raised the total to 11, calling them the 11 that went to hell. Okay, so that's interesting to me because number one, he's changing the number. Number two, both 7 and 11 work in that rhyme. So that makes me feel like he picked those numbers specifically to make the rhyme work, but 11 was higher, so he thought that made him look more badass. I feel like this says more in the this is a lie category to me than mm -hmm. it does this is the truth, but it's still early. So now we're going to get into the 11 named and suspected victims of Edward Bell. On June 17, 1971, Colette Anise Wilson, 13, arrived in Alvin, Texas. 
Colette came from a big family with 10 kids, um, and she was on her way back home from a summer band camp. Band camp. Band camp. I want to know what instrument she played. I, I couldn't see that. I'm getting clarinet vibes. I have mm. no reason to get clarinet vibes. Colette clarinet. It could be that. It could be that. <laughs> So her band director, Charles Mays, had dropped her off on the corner of Highway 6 and County Road um, 99 at 1230. And her mom was supposed to be coming to pick her up. But her mother, Claire, arrived just six minutes late. And by that time, Colette was nowhere to be found. I feel like, and we've, we've gotten a comment on YouTube before where people are like, oh, kids from the 90s and 2000s always talk about the 70s and the 80s, like there's some long begotten, long forgotten time. But it's also like, I feel like, first of all, that was 50 years ago. I'm sorry to break that to people. But also the difference in attitudes in that time shifted so much. The difference in time feels very powerful because that would not fucking happen today. Can you imagine dropping a kid off on the side of the road, first of all, and the parents not there to pick up today? No. And you just, you leave? That would never happen. And if it did, literally everybody would point fingers at the coach and be like, what the hell? What happened here? Yeah. That would never happen today. But also, they had no reason to suspect anything would happen back then because the, there was no information about killings like this on a wide scale like nobody knew this was happening on such a wide mm -hmm. scale if it didn't happen in your town you didn't know it happened it's because of things like this happening all over the place that we did transition to this more like hyper vigilant hyper aware of what the children like where they are what's happening i mean there's a reason that in the 90s it's like that thing that would happen on the tv it's like do you know where your children are at exactly and it's like yeah, have have we lost some stuff for that? There's like this culture of antitrust. Yeah, but also maybe if people stopped killing people, we wouldn't have to do that. We just yeah. don't live in a world where that's going to work yet. Back to Colette. At first, her family had called Colette's friends nearby, thinking that maybe she had gotten picked up by one of them. But again, she was nowhere to be found. The family called the police. Right, because this is the age of home phones, so they had to drive all the way home or to a neighbor's yeah. house and call the police. So they called the police. And as per usual, the police immediately labeled her as a runaway, despite the family's protests. Yeah, I come back from band camp. I've had such a transitional experience at band camp that I am going to do something so completely out of character and I am going to run away with my clarinet. I don't know if it was a clarinet <laughs> and just leave and tell no one. That makes so much sense. Thank you, Texas's finest. It would be another three months until her body was found on November 26th near the Adidix Reservoir. Colette was found without clothes. She had been killed with a shot to the head. Colette was about five foot two, only about a hundred pounds. So someone could have really easily overpowered her, especially a grown adult. Um, she could have just been grabbed and thrown into a vehicle. She had had black hair and blue eyes. 
She was one of the three that Edward Bell listed by name in his original letters. Okay, so hang on, I need to emotionally recover from that description, but also he does know her by name. I'm still very oscillating between whether or not he truly killed these people or not. We've only just really covered mm -hmm. one. But knowing her by name, I think, gives it points to being true. But also, if it was widely televised, he could have just seen it as like a big notable case that was still unsolved. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Uh, and did they, they didn't find her with any of her stuff. Because she was just coming back for band camp. She presumably had like a luggage, at least some kind of instrument, if it was not a clarinet. You know, clothes. Clothes that she The clothes, her being naked, I think, speaks for those in the true crime community. I think that speaks for itself, unfortunately. But like, where the fuck? He took her stuff and then just dumped mm -hmm. her body? That is unfortunately all I have for Colette. Um, a lot of these, I don't even have other suspected, um, mm -hmm. perpetrators. That, cause that could have been anyone. Anyone could have come across her on the road, either forced her into a vehicle or convinced her that they would give her a ride because this was also the age where hitchhiking was pretty common. I don't know if she regularly partook in that or not. And then done what they wanted with her because they felt like it. It could have been Edward Bell. It could have been literally any other monster on the road that day. So found 35 yards away from Colette was Gloria Ann Gonzalez, a 19-year-old who was found on November 23rd, 1971. Mm -hmm. She had been reported missing by her roommate from their West Houston apartment on October 23rd and had been last seen on Jacqueline Street near her apartment. Okay, so this is a few months. Uh, remind me of when Colette went missing. That was June? Yeah, Colette went missing in June, and she would be found in November on the okay. 26th, and a few days before uh, Gloria was found. Okay, so they were probably... mixed a little. That's fine. So they were probably investigating one and then spread the search and found the other is what it yeah. is but then she would have only been missing for like a month then a month okay so she was still pretty oh, i hate to say fresh that's such a gross way to say it but more evidence let's say that there were likely would yeah. have been more evidence on her remains yeah uh gloria um is not a named victim of bell uh but he kind of matched this description of one of the brunettes. He said he had a brunette from West Houston, which Gloria was. Um, Gloria died from blunt force trauma to her head. And that is all the information I have about her. Okay, so 13 to 19, that's kind of a jump in terms of age for a serial killer's preference especially when it comes to edward i think there's a clear 
preference for younger women, but also if Gloria was maybe a younger looking 19 that could still fit. Missing from her apartment says to me like she went out to meet somebody because I feel like mm -hmm. her roommate would have noticed like a struggle or anything. I don't know. Also, the description, it's really not much. No. There are probably thousands of women who are brunette from West Houston and more than one, I'm sure, have gone missing. I don't know. I don't know if I really buy Gloria. That sounds more like she went out for to meet someone, have a date, something, and then they happened to know about this honestly not very well hidden killing field. I don't know who said this was a great place to hide a body. They're finding people within months. Yeah, but they're not solving any of them. <laughs> and I think that says so I hate to, I feel like we always go back to DNA because I love DNA, but also it's like this was the 70s. They did not have a very strong means of testing DNA, gathering DNA samples. I don't know if like what the evidence collection would have been for this time, because some police departments were good about knowing that like there's something here. We just don't yeah. have the means yet. But if we collect yeah. the, the information, the data, we could maybe use it someday and others not so much. So I don't know if they have anything for that. But it's also like if you have nothing to match it to, you're just hoping that like a hair falls off. And even then, that's not really uniquely identifying unless that has DNA. Yeah. And I will say that a lot of these are in like water, reservoirs, ponds, mm -hmm. lakes, which water can fuck with a lot of things. Mm -hmm. So moving on. Mm -hmm. On August 4th, 1971. So it's like Colette and then, yeah. this, Gloria. Okay. Two friends. Two. Rhonda Renee Johnson, who went by Renee, and Sharon Lynn Shaw, both 14 and 13 respectively, were last seen walking near a local beach in Galveston by Seawall Boulevard. Okay, having a beach day, living it up. The two were taken together. Okay, that definitely says to me that they, somebody stopped to offer them a ride. Mm -hmm. Because I feel like two girls for one adult, man, unless, we do know he likes to carry if it was edward he likes to carry guns in his car but it was also like the middle of the day according to a friend of theirs glenda willis the two girls used to hang out by the beach with like a beach party crowd and they would hang around the wicks water ski school um the two girls had gone to wicks water ski school the day they had disappeared they weren't able to go out in the water that day since the waves were too rough. And so the girls, they used to hitchhike regularly. Mm. So it was not unusual for them to get into a stranger's car. Once again, like that was considered very normal for the time. And nowadays, like just the thought of that gave me chest pains. The like two teen girls getting into a stranger's vehicle is for a lot of people's worst nightmare but at the time very normal mm -hmm. um willis glenda had described the two of them as tomboys and totally fearless can we also talk about renee sharon and glenda those are such cute names <laughs> i know like a quick break from the horribleness cute names cute friend group, cute. cute names on january 3rd 1972 
Renee's skull was found by two boys fishing in Clear Lake. Ooh. Ooh, Renee's body was not found at the time. Okay. So were they... Okay, so it's possible her skull broke off and maybe floated down the river? Okay. So I had seen an article saying um, that authorities 40 years later had matched her headless body, um, which was found in the same lake about a half a mile away. It had been labeled originally as a male's body and was believed to be a different missing person entirely. So it hadn't been considered a possible match previously. So theoretically in like the 2010s, they matched them up, but I only saw that in one article. I, I feel like, that's definitely possible. I feel like people kind of, there's this, like, how do you mix those two up? But there's actually, when it comes to bones, and at that point, I imagine you're pretty fully skeletonized, especially in the water. There's a lot of, and especially for someone who's prepubescent, I feel like there's a lot fewer indicators. Like you're looking mm -hmm. at the shape of the pelvic inlet, the, honestly, that's most of it for the body. There's a few other indicators like, size mostly but without the head the skull has a lot of the indicators for like male versus female and even then, those are very subjective so it's less of like a oh this thing right here says that this was a female or this thing right here says it was a male it was more like this collection of items leads us to believe that this was a male or a female dna is a lot more identifying once again but number one twas the 70s number two even for today if the bones are soaked in water a lot of the dna is lost so it's harder to make those claims so i could see a prepubescent girl who maybe was misidentified as a male i don't and the age is really hard too like those are two mm -hmm. kind of very difficult things to determine when it comes to skeletons so i could see this mislabeling i could see it mm -hmm. Uh, one of the things that was noted is that this body um, had been found with a shirt that said Jericho's Surf Shop, which was near Wick's Water Ski School. Hmm. So someone from that area. It's So they don't think like she would have had that though. Like that wouldn't have been something that she would have been wearing or on her person. They thought so. That's why later on they kind of did a reflection again and that was one of the things it's like that could have been her because she went to this ski school a lot this is by there so it's she could have bought a shirt it's from the same area okay hard to say then yeah um sharon's body was found six weeks after renee's head was found um her body was found with bits of fabric and a necklace the necklace was a surfer's cross and the cross is how sharon's mother was able to identify her her cause of death could not be determined. That's also pretty, like with skeletons, I feel like TV shows make that seem like it's so easy to find things, but it really takes like months of expert, expert opinion and research and peer review to kind of look at. There's, I, there are certain injuries that you can tell what they look like, but you know, if you if it doesn't leave a mark on the bone, you're never going to know if she was stabbed in a meaty, I hate to say meaty, that sounds terrible, but in a non 
skeletal area. Mm-hmm. There's not going to be a sign of that on her bones, and especially in the water. I I don't know if they found her full remains, if any pieces were missing, because she's in the water. There's predation. There's I mean, her friend's skull floated down the river. Very possible smaller pieces were lost and just may mm-hmm. never be found. I, yeah, that's not an easy, and it could have been anything. So even though Edward Bell would later kind of confess to this crime and he would like, it would be a matched up, um, there was actually someone else who was convicted. So I'm going to get into him. Uh, Michael Lloyd Self, a gas station attendant. In May 1927, police received a tip regarding Self and had brought him in for questioning. Now, here's where things get a little, like, sticky. Um, Self went in voluntarily. Mm -hmm. But then he was then held by police for hours. And according to Self, he was held against walls, hit with a baton, and had a pistol pointed at him while an officer threatened to kill him if he did not confess. Okay. So this is where... Like, I don't know if anyone has ever seen the documentary about the confession killer that also happened in Texas around this time. And at the time, like, he was kind of, we know now that he was kind of coached into giving a lot of confessions that were not true. And partially that was, like, out of his own self-interest. Partially that was hard to say how much of it was police's wishful thinking and how much of it was purposeful to get some cases closed. But also they kind of, there within that documentary, there was also some allegations, I'll say, of Im- other improper police activity. So I'm not going to say I don't believe it categorically. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, I feel like we see the like held for questioning for hours part and like that alone makes us think something happened. If you're suspected for your murder, you're going to be there for a few hours. Oh, like, that's yeah. normal. So, following this up, according to what he has said, obviously, self claims that he made a forced convention- confession. Um, he was made to write and rewrite the confession several times over. And there was a number of errors in the final confession that doesn't align with the actual case, um, including. From what I've seen in articles, um, some of like the methods of death or where the bodies were placed weren't lining up. Um, I don't know if this is like police review after the fact or where this, these errors highlighted came from. But either way, he made his confession. It seemed like there was incongruencies with the actual case. My thing with that is Number one, if you're going to go to the trouble of torturing somebody into making a confession, I feel like you would make sure that the facts lined up, especially if, as he claims, they've made him write this multiple times. Mm -hmm. Number two, I mean, we don't necessarily know the causes of death for at least one of these girls. And also when it comes to placement, there is a river, so it's possible that the bodies were moved just because of the way that they were disposed of. I don't know the exact specifics, so I'm not going to say like, oh, like, that's explainable. Um, it, it's, it's neither here nor there, I think. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. 
So Self was then convicted on September 18th, 1974, of first-degree murder of Sharon, but not Renee. And that makes sense because I believe you at the time they had not found her body yet or hadn't yeah. made the connection. So they only had the skull to work with. Did they even really charge him with at that point? Because I could see prosecution not even attempting to make the charge yet until they were sure they had something because of the double jeopardy rule. Yeah, I'm not sure about Renee's case. Um, Self would be denied his multiple appeals, and it even went up to the Supreme Court in 1993. Mm -hmm. um, he would die in prison in 2000 of cancer. I was actually just going to ask if he was still in prison. Yeah. A number of people mm -hmm. believe that he is the wrong man, especially following Edward Bell's confession, where he described two Webster girls that he killed in 1971. Once again, this could have been like he was in the area and heard about it on the news and remembered like this was a big case and then made his confession around things that would have been inflammatory for the, you know, to <laughs> be like, oh, I'm this guy. I killed all of these horrible deaths. On the other hand, I believe that he would do this one more than I would necessarily a case like glorious because it fits his age profile more mm -hmm. uh, and again that's like that is barely a description that's like i killed rolls dice two girls in rolls dice with town names on it webster like that's kind of not a lot the two is a little more specific than a one but i don't know i don't i don't know it could have been either really or just a random guy, once again. So we're gonna talk about two other victims who Bell named who were also regulars at the Wickswater Ski Club, like, or ski school, like Renee and Sharon. Okay, so indicating maybe a preferential hunting ground, for lack of a better word. Yeah. Um, so Maria Johnson and Debbie Ackerman, the two of them were both 15-year-olds, and Edward Bell actually knew the girls. Ooh. Bell had co-owned a surf shop that these girls had been to. Once again, this guy owning things. I mean, I guess he used to be a diver, so I guess there's a connection to the ocean there. Yeah. Um, the two were last seen near a back... Baskin Robbins on November 15th, 1971. So right in the time frame for all the others. Yeah. A lot of these were like do 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 really close to each other. I feel like that almost says to me that it couldn't have been the same person because that is so much work for one person and so short of a cool down period. Mm-hmm. So Debbie was a water ski champion and Maria had only recently moved to the area and immediately the two of them became best friends. Oh, that's so sweet. The champion, the cool girl, because you know, she's like, I mean, if you're the champion, you've got to be like one of the coolest people in the friend group in the club. And then there's this new girl just moved here, doesn't know anyone. She's like you and me and then they just that's so cute that's so and then they sweet. go to a baskin robbins for ice cream. they go to baskin robbins for ice cream that's like they're just having a good time they're living normal 15 year old lives and they should have just been able to be best friends 
until their 30s and then their kids have playdates with each other. That's what should have fucking happened here. So the girls had been seen getting into a white van that day by some classmates and hitchhiking. Again, we've established this was pretty common and it seems like the two of them from what others had seen um, were willingly getting in and just getting a ride. It's shocking to me how many people even saw them. Like, I believe somebody saw the other two get at least into a car. The other case as well. Like, how many people saw, not the kidnapping because it was welling, but like the beginning of it and like Mm -hmm. didn't even think twice about it because it was so normal. But like, you're still, you're taking note of where people you care about go. Like, people are seeing this, but they're just not knowing what they're seeing. Mm Mm-hmm. So the girls were then later found in Turner's Bayou only two days later. And where is Turner's Bayou in relation to all of the other? It's like all the same kind of swampy area. Yeah, yeah. It's all within this like 25 acre land. I can't exactly pinpoint where each of these. I don't have a good visualization of this map is what I should say. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, For the two of them. Their hands were tied. The girls were mostly stripped. They had been raped and then shot with a .38 caliber pistol. So that brings me back to Colette's, actually. Because she was stripped and I believe her body was too decomposed for them to make an actual determination, but I, I think it can be assumed uh that she was sexually colette assaulted. was shot in the head and colette was shot in the head i don't know that they were able to determine ballistics on that Mm-mm. not from what okay. i have like these are not like a oh it's obviously this like these are all like very convoluted sciences so it's i get it but also again and it could have been because she was also submerged there's a possibility that she was restrained and those were removed or it could have been of a organic material and rotted away. You would kind of see evidence of that, I believe. But again, she was in water. I don't know. There's something about it that rings very true to Colette's murder for me. There was one source that said um, the girls, rather than dying from the gunshot wounds, had drowned after being thrown in the bayou. Oh. So they hadn't fully passed when they were, and I hate saying this, but disposed of. No, but that's exactly what it was because the person had had, they got what they wanted out of it and they literally threw them away like they were trash. And it didn't, it didn't matter to whoever this was. In the only, the only way it could have mattered, I would say is, that they might have gotten some perverse pleasure out of knowing that they were going to die that way. I don't necessarily think that's the case. So I think that's vilifying something that doesn't need to be vilified any more than it already is. I think they just didn't care to check. Because it didn't matter to them. So Bell, in a letter to the Galveston District Attorney, stated, quote, Dear Sir, I have decided to tell you that I was brainwashed into Kelly, Debbie Ackerman, and Maria Johnson in November 1971. End quote. I was brainwashed? Sir? 
shut the fuck up. Okay. Again, in the age range. Again, we know he has a preference for guns. If I were to attribute any of them thus far to Belle over... <clears throat> I mean, again, they don't always have a another option. But if I were yeah. to say, yeah, I could see this for this guy, it would be Colette and these two. Especially since I believe these are the three that he has named by name. In the letters, yeah. In the letters. Again, that could be... I don't know what internet access was like for people in prison at the time. I don't know if he could have been Googling these things and just picking, like, high-profile cases. I don't know. I feel like too much rings true for what we know about Bell for it to be a coincidence, I think. He was... Um, during the 70s, he was out. Oh, he was out. Which is what I'm saying, why, like, again, when his confession so, happens, like, you don't necessarily... Yeah, yeah, but I'm saying that he could have heard of these cases while he was, like, out. Because a lot of these were witnessing, found, witnessing, found. Um, but the evidence was so messed up, and there really wasn't a lot of people in the area to witness a body dumping that mm. there was very little evidence to go off of. Yeah. I don't know. I would say these three, if I were Make to attribute sense. any... I would attribute it to him. This better not come out to 7 or 11. I'd be so mad if his rhyme actually worked. That disgusting little rhyme he made at the beginning. So Kimberly Raid Pitchford is our next one. She was 16 and she was named by Bell in an interview. So in that later interview where he raised the number to 11, she was named here. Um, he referred to her as just Pitchford. Okay. Still named, though. Yeah. So, you know, like many other 16-year-olds, Kimberly was learning to drive. Oh, Lord. On January 3rd, 1973, she was taking her first driver's ed class at her school, Frank Doby High School in Houston, Texas. So she had allegedly gone across the street from the school to um, make a phone call on the payphone just to call her mom, but her mom never received that call. Classmates of Kimberly gave different accounts of what happened after class ended, um, but one had said that he, or they, saw her get into a red Volkswagen. Her father says that Kimberly was a shy girl that was always good about calling home. Her just getting into a car sounded out of character. Yeah, because we've been saying hitchhiking was very common for the time, but that doesn't necessarily mean everybody was hitchhiking. Mm -hmm. I do find it interesting that thus far we've mentioned, I think, three different car descriptions. A white van, a red Volkswagen, like there's different things happening. Yeah. Her family went out that night driving, frantically trying to find her. She would be found only... She would be found only two days later on January 5th. She was off Country Road 65 in a canal below a bridge. Um, while they didn't even try to hide her body. They just stopped and threw her over the side of a bridge and then kept driving. That... <sighs> ah. While she was missing her shoes and her watch, she still had her dress on. Okay. She had been strangled to death. 
two boys had found her. Um, they had seen what turned out to be her coat on a fence the day before. And then when they saw it again, later the next day, they decided to check it out. And that's when they found her. People need to stop letting their kids near this fucking 25 acre. I assume nobody goes around here anymore because the amount of boys just doing boyhood things and finding bodies in this area is horrendous. A friend of Kimberly said that uh, Kimberly had been bothered several times by a flasher. Um, and this person would follow them along the road that would lead to Interstate 45. And if you remember from my beginning description, that is near the Texas killing fields. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but I don't see her getting in the car with somebody who's flashed her before. And it sounds like she probably willingly got in the car unless it was at gunpoint and no one could tell from that distance because that's possible mm -hmm. that it appeared willing but wasn't yeah that is all i have for kimberly oh my god and flashers like because that's a stalker at that point because from what i understand the usual pathology of flashers is they do what they're gonna do and then they like run away because they're yeah, yeah, yeah. they get their throat and then they leave <laughs> yes but it does kind of come back when it comes to bell to his uh penchant for exposing himself to young girls for sure he did mention her by name it doesn't really fit with any of the other girls that i feel more strongly about him doing something to I don't know. It could have been she just also had her own stalker as mm -hmm. like, what is it? It's like one in three people get a stalker in their lifetime. Like it's a horrendously high number. Yeah. And they just like, nobody knew what to do about stalkers. So nothing happened until it escalated too far. Mm -hmm. It wouldn't, I feel like a stalker wouldn't take her watch though. That's, that feels more robbery unless it was made to look like a robbery. I don't know. Moving on to the next duo. A lot of duos. Yeah, this is our third duo. Georgia Gear was 14 and her best friend Brooks Bracewell was 12 on September 6, 1974, when they went missing. So a couple years now, because I think the last one was 72, right? So the last one, um, Kimberly, was 1973. Ah. And then Maria Johnson and Debbie Ackerman were at the end. Of, so it's like Maria Johnson, Debbie Ackerman were at the end of 1971. Kimberly was at the very beginning of 1973. And now we're at 1974. So we did have a crunch of a bunch of them in like 1971 in like the last six months of that year. Mm -hmm. Okay, so it's slowed down, which again points to me that it, these were not the same person because serial killers don't slow down, they speed up. So the two of them were last seen at a store in Dickinson called the U Totem. This store was mere minutes away from Bell's pasture property. Again, he's owning things. So the girls had made a quick bus trip from a bus stop near the houses and then walked along a trail that went through some trees, which was a regular trip for the girls. This was not weird for them to do. 
um, they were just kind of walking down to get snacks. Yeah. It's just like maybe a sleepover is happening and getting ready, getting all set up. Yeah. This, when you said like a trail through the woods, I was like, oh yeah, this is like every other weekend or something. This is not new. Yeah. So the town of Dickinson's was so small that they actually didn't have a police station. So the good old Galveston's police department took responsibility for the case. And when I say responsibility, I say it sarcastically because it was immediately labeled as a runaway case. Hey, mom, me and my friend, we're going to go get snacks. We'll be right back. Runs away? I hate I hate that 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 they do that because that is code for I don't care and I don't want to waste time looking for two young people and it's like I don't get it I've never gotten it if it's a runaway it's a child who has run yes. off into the world and you're totally fine with just waiting for them to get hungry and come home on their own are you insane? Do you know what we're clearly they don't know what world we live in because Bill's property's right over there. Literally, the the logic of being like, oh, they ran away, minutes away, is a serial killer's home. What the fuck? And it's like, what? That is literally one of the things I wrote. <laughs> the nonsensical rage of what what even if it is a runaway, I don't care that you're spending tax dollars on looking for a runaway child who should not be unintended out in the world. Yes. Even if it was through their own volition, they're children. The entire point of children is that they need an adult. Even if they don't think so. Oh my God. I mean, yeah, if someone runs away enough times, maybe you should be looking at their assigned adult and double checking that that's all in the yeah. up and up. But like, come on, come on. Yeah, that kid's got street smarts. Just, they'll be back. What? God, Kelsey's I'll pissed. let you move on now, but I'm so mad. This isn't just about this. It's about a lot of things. A lot of different crime cases. So the deputy who went to the parents' house to create the report only wrote up a paragraph stating that Georgia convinced her friend to run away and that was it. Why did we? Sorry, not done. Why did why did we decide Georgia was the aggressor? Like, uh, what? What if her friend was the one who wanted to run away? Not that I think either of these Georgia girls was wanted two to run years away. older. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. So we saw that and we were like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Obviously, the older one convinced the younger one that they were going to yeah. run away. No idea Obviously. about where they would have run away. None of that. Nope. They'll come nope. back when they're hungry. How old are these yeah. girls? How old are these girls? Always fourteen and twelve. Yeah, 14 and 12. They know what they're doing. They know how to like, they know how to run away. They've never done it before, but I'm sure they know what they're doing. They'll be they back. They were going to get snacks. Later. They were stocking up. They were stocking up. Well, okay. I could see a police officer who doesn't care making a no making the argument that they were going to go get supplies so that they could run away. But come on. Come on. Why would you, if you're planning to run away, go to a place that you go to regularly? Yeah. Kids are sneakier anyway. than that. Anyway, so the police wouldn't do anything for this case for another two months. And when they did do a follow-up interview with Brooke Bracewell's mom, the officer continued to label um, Brooke's daughter as a runaway during the interview. 
I would have punched that cop straight in the fucking face. I don't have children, but I, so I imagine what I am feeling is like this, the tiniest sliver of the righteous indignation that the mother of an actually missing child would feel, but I would punch that man straight in the fucking, sh I would break his nose and then I would go to jail because I assaulted an officer. It's over for this then, man. But then maybe they might look into where my fucking daughter is. I would be so pissed, so pissed. The self-control on these people to not just wail on these police officers. So around this time that this interview was happening, a separate investigator would request dental records. Oh my God. So they've found bodies at this point is what you're telling me, but they're still trying to play it off. It wouldn't okay. be okay. until 1981 when the case would be properly investigated as murders after their bodies were identified. Are you fucking serious? So their bones had been found in 1976. Okay. In a bayou in Alvin, Texas. And I do want to note that some sources implied that Brooks' bones were the ones found in 1976 and that George's were found later, but it is unclear. Unclear. Okay. So somebody knew that they were going to find bodies or they'd already found something that indicated they were going to find bodies, but they're still like, oh, no, 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 they're still runaways. But, you know, uh, Kevin, why don't you go talk to the dentist so we can get... There's no reason that you would look for... You would ask for dental records for somebody you fully believe is still alive. Like, there's no reason for that. Unless one investigator was kind of going against the rest of the department. And in that case, Maybe. good for you, investigator. But... Good for the one person who might be doing a, a real... His real job here. Yeah, I could see that. Like, maybe one guy was like, we're gonna need these even if he's like i'm going know. to double check because you guys do what you do but i'm gonna have this on file to double check just to do due diligence there's also how many bodies have been right how many bodies have been found in the fucking killing fields by now like over half a dozen and you're like no 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 they're runaways though my lord my lord what the hell it would be over for that man i would have punched him in the schnoz over so um the next victim we're going to talk about um isn't actually from the killing fields so if we're counting up right now um this is victim 10. oh my god and she so many yeah and six of them were pairs yeah that's like the risk on taking on two people at once i think cannot be understated the like level of confidence you have to have to not once but multiple times if it was the same person take on a pair i do want to talk about um this person even though they are not technically part of the killing fields just to wrap up our conversation about bell okay so nina lynn kluge was 16 when she went missing on october 22nd 1975 she was meant to come home from Rosharon, Texas, where she was with friends watching the World Series. Her car was found abandoned four miles off of uh, Santa Fe by Highway 6. The car was found quickly. 
from what I understand. Um, but there were no clear clues. It just seemed like it was kind of like pulled over and like nothing weird was going on. Um, her body was found only a month later on Thanksgiving Day by two hunters near Highway um, 382. Once again, I don't know what the current culture in this area is, but I have to imagine people have stopped going to this fucking 25 acre stretch. At least I hope so, because that is so many people finding bodies. And I feel like I do not want to start my day going, am I mentally prepared to find a body today? Because the answer is always no. But okay, so they don't think anything was wrong with her car? Yeah. There was like a, they didn't find any evidence at least of anything weird happening in the car. There wasn't like her like clothes were strewn. It wasn't like there was like dead. So like, look, didn't look, there was a struggle at the car. And there's like no engine trouble either. So like she pulled over on her own will. Not from what I saw. Okay. Interesting. So Nina was found nude on top okay. of a pile of clothes, presumably her own. She had died from a gunshot wound to the head. And while she was not named directly as one of Bell's victims, um, she did kind of match one of the descriptions that he had given during his confession. I've been pretty, I admitted to being pretty hesitant to believe the vague descriptions. On the other hand, her murder much more closely aligns with Colette and the other two whose names there have been so many names I can't recall, but the other two who were found bound and shot, and again, she was found stripped and shot. Yeah, Maria, Debbie, Colette, and then Thank you. Nina. Yes. So I'm more prone to believe that if not Belle, those four were all killed by the same person. The clothes underneath her is very weird because, like, that's not how – like if you were if you if you were sexually assaulting a person as one does of course not but if as you were like they wouldn't end up underneath her like that sounds like something you would have to do afterwards like you know you so whatever happens happens in the car and then you bring her clothes out and then put her on top of the clothes that just is like a very weird little detail i don't think it really means anything crazy that's helpful to determine who it is but it's it's a weird thing that i'm stuck on so we don't have a lot of information on Bell's supposed 11th victim, but he says that the girl was from Houston, had red or blonde hair, that he killed her around the same time as the other victims in the mid-1970s. And that is all we have. Again, that description is basically nothing. But also, her murder ties pretty well with Marie, Debbie, and Colette's. I'm not necessarily saying I'm positive Belle killed them, but I do think there there's a connection between those four that doesn't necessarily exist with all of the others. So I am more inclined to believe the same person killed them, and it mm -hmm. is weird that Belle could call out some of them by name. I don't know. So what happened to Belle? In, I want him to have been eaten by rats. If it's not that, I will be disappointed. So in 2017, A&E put out, I think it was a six-part series about the 11. 
And during this time, uh, Bell had like different interviews and he actually recanted his statement saying that at the time he made the confession, he was suicidal and wanted the death sentence. I mean, I was wondering because you said he got 70 years. So there is definitely, he pretty much has a life sentence without having a life sentence. So I could see wanting to just get get got put on death row. Even that takes several years. So confessing to some notable cases and kind of forcing the justice system's hand. Uh, I could see it, especially given what we know about Bell. I don't know that I really believe the whole dad story, but I do believe this was a violent and possibly suicidal person, regardless of whether regardless of a father's influence in that directly. I don't know. I could see it. I did think it was weird when you were like, oh, yeah, he then confessed all these. And I'm like, dude, why? You're already in here forever. And you don't seem the kind of person who wants to give closure to the families. Bell was never charged for any of the cases. Um, he did say that he would, when he's giving this whole, like, I recant it, he did say that he let girls into his band before and, like, implied that he had sex with high school-age girls, saying that the girls would say, oh, we're totally over, like, these young high school-age men. Um, and so he kind of implied from that statement that he would have sex with these girls. Um, I mean, I believe never... that 100%. Oh, yeah, he's a creep. He would. Yeah, I don't necessarily creep. believe that the girls were saying that kind of shit, but... Yeah, okay. I want to clarify. I 100% believe he had sex with underage girls. I don't necessarily believe they were all consensual. And in fact, that may tie into if some of them perhaps fought back, perhaps what we saw with some of the women being bound and partially stripped and then shot is a conclusion to a struggle that happened in his car. I could see that as a narrative. But yeah, he's so, a full creep. I, I never had trouble believing he had sex oh, with underage girls. I yeah. don't believe most of it was consensual. No. So in, so there's never any tangible evidence. He didn't get linked to any of it. Um, he didn't get prosecuted for any of it. And then he would die on April 20th, 2019 from heart failure at the age of 79 while serving time at Wallace Pack Unit in uh, Navasota, Texas. My only regret is that he missed all of COVID. <laughs> Unfortunately, all 11 of these cases that we've discussed today, from what I can tell on some of the limited coverage of some of these cases, are still unsolved unless you count self's confession for Sarah or for Sharon's murder. For that one, I don't necessarily I don't believe it was Bell, but I don't necessarily believe it was self. And the trouble with a lot of these and the reason that so many of them are likely unsolved, number one, I hate to I feel like this is the third time I've been like no DNA evidence, but like it it is. But it's also that's the case with so many of these kind of random attacks, because I feel like a lot of these are hitchhiking random attacks is that there's no human connection. There's no motive mm -hmm. outside of I just want to hurt people. There's no mm -hmm. alibi. No, like 
one person out of my suspects doesn't have an alibi. There's just like the only thing you have to tie to these people to their crimes is DNA. And if you don't have that, you have diddly squat. So like, I could see why a lot of these are unsolved. I don't think though, that this is a good body hiding spot. Well, considering that a lot of these were moved from somewhere else, brought to these fields, no one witnessed anything in the fields. There is a lots of water that the bodies were dumped in, which also screwed with evidence. And the fact that all of these are unsolved. Okay, I'll give them that. But if you don't want the body to be found, it's not a good spot. But also, at least a couple of the victims came from a surf shop, so the ocean is nearby. So you've made a choice to choose the kill these killing fields over the ocean, which well, a little more I'm populated not a, of a beach. I mean, there's probably other areas like the ocean is vast. There's probably a spot. I am not a hider of bodies on the reg, but I feel like I don't know. That's an interesting choice to make. So anyway, in part two, we will follow the timeline a little more closely than we have with this one. This one is kind of like a chunk in the middle after the first case. Um, so we'll start with Brenda Jones in the next episode and discuss the other unfortunate victims that were found in Texas's infamous killing field. Oh, right, because there's like at least a dozen more, isn't there? At least 20 more. Oh my god, I, I thought I was like, oh, a dozen is too many. No. But it's not. No, you. Oh, the fact that there's not, like, I get it's a large area and you can't really cover all of it, but the fact that there's not a hidden police car next to any one of the entrances to this area, just keeping an eye out for suspicious activity. I mean, there must be, right? At this point, there's so many people. It's Come just on, like guys. a forested, fielded area. There should just be like a team whose only job is to ninja their way through the woods and then just pop out and be like, hey, stranger, what are you doing with that? Over 25 acres. Yes. Yes, Annalise. I want a team of ninjas to just stalk the woods at night and wait to see if they find someone dumping a body. You don't really have to cover all the ground. You just kind of have to cover like the popular areas, like the watery areas. And then like, you really only have to catch a few people in the act before people stop dumping bodies there, I feel. So I didn't describe our table. I feel like- Oh, you didn't. It's kind of in my imagination, it's been like a dark, foggy, kind of wooded kind of marshy area by I like I think I imagine like the lake and that our mm -hmm. table is there and our table's kind of sinking into the mud a little it's in the mud. does Texas have Everglades it's not like an Everglades but it's like a swamp we're in like a swamp are there alligators one of those types of <laughs> yeah so that's all I have for you today and we'll catch you guys in the next one with more of these cases and I'm sorry that this is so unfortunate and so unsolved. We'll see you guys in the next one. Bye.